This morning I am going to finish up the book of James. And when James has brought us through a lot, I always encourage people to read the book of James at least once a year. In witnessing encounters, I will always challenge folks if they don't read the Bible to get a Bible and read it. And I'll suggest some books. One of those books will always be the book of James. It's just practical. All the things that James has walked us through, Pastor Don could have wrote this book in some of the same, some of the same things we deal with as Christians today, Pastor Farrell, whoever. Because the things we've been through, we still deal with today. He's brought us through the fact that we will have trials. Do you know we're going to have trials in this life? Some of you have had them. How do we deal with them? James, we've been through that. Temptations. Man, I wish we didn't have temptations, but we have them. And sometimes we fall to them. What do we do? James tells us we've been through that. Favoritism. Do we treat people a little bit differently in life? Are we inclined to do that? Maybe based off their race, maybe based off their socioeconomic status, maybe off their political affiliation. Whatever it is, James had a challenge for that. How about the way we talk? Does our talk match our walk? Mine does most of the time. But sometimes I have to pray that prayer, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Money, money and possessions. Do we manage them well? Do we manage them within the Scripture? Do we include God in all the aspects of our life, even the little things? Or do we wait till there's a big crisis to call on the name of the Lord? And finally, are we going to endure? Are we prepared to endure as believers? These are all just a, really not everything that James has brought us through. But we've been through them. In five short chapters, we've covered those things. And it's no surprise to me when I think about James and I think about how he ends this, that he ends it with prayer. He ends it with prayer. Because I want to tell you something, church. I think there's three things that you won't make the Christian walk victoriously if you don't have these three things in your life. And the first one is the Word of God. If all you're getting is the Word of God on Sunday morning for the 35 or 40 minutes that I delivered or whether Pastor Farrell delivered or when Pastor Don delivered it, I'm here to tell you in today's society world, it's not enough. You need to get some personal devotion time where you're into God's Word on your own. He will speak to you through His Word. He still speaks through His Word. Fellowship of the saints. You need to be connected to a local body of believers. Preaching to the choir this morning, you're here, but it, it seems to be kind of in vogue in, in some circles today to be critical of the church and think they don't have to be a part of the church. Church is important. Gathering together is important. The Bible says for, we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together all the more as we see the day approaching. You need someone who's going to love you, who holds your arms up, who will hold you accountable who will challenge you, who will rebuke you in love. You need all those things. I will tell you, I would not make the Christian walk, the walk with the Lord, without you as a body of believers. You encourage me. You inspire me. And that's the way the Lord intended it. But lastly, and I just chose it lastly because it is the topic of the day's message, you won't make it if you have a prayerless life. You will not make it if you have a prayerless life. 
One of the greatest gifts God has given us is the gift of prayer and communion with Him. But it's difficult. So it's no doubt, it's no, no surprise to me that James finishes this letter with prayer. And I'm going to be covering James 5, 13 through 18 momentarily. 5, 13 through 18. And in those six verses, he mentions prayer or praying in some form seven times. Seven times. And as I thought back through all the things that we've covered in James, he covers many of those things in this idea of prayer. Sin and confession. Sickness and having praying. Praying, calling on the elders to pray of you. Pray, 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 he says at the end of this book. He was a pastor. He pastored a church at Jerusalem. He was commonly referred to at times as old camel knees because he prayed so much. I wouldn't say my, my life is prayerless by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that my prayer life could be better. But it is difficult. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to five, uh, James 5, 13 through 18, and we'll hear what James has to say about this idea of prayer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the book of James. Lord, that I can go to it and read it and read it and read it and hear what James has to say to me today about what it looks like today to follow you, to follow you. And I pray if there's one here today, Lord, who's never repented of their sin, to become a follower of yours at today. Lord, either whether it's happened already in the worship and the anointing of the, of the worship or whether it happens from the, your, through your word or at our end of prayer, God, save. Save in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I want to cover these few verses with three things. The posture of prayer the purpose of prayer, and the power of prayer. How's that for alliteration? The posture of prayer, the purpose of prayer, and the power of prayer. But I want to start out by just asking a simple question that I think all, we all know the answer to in some, some way. What is prayer? If I were to ask you, what is prayer, what, what would your answer be? And it is the act of talking, but not just talking, listening, and abiding with God. It is the act of talking, listening, and abiding with God. I think a lot of times when we come to the Lord in prayer, we want to do all the talking, and sometimes I think we need to do some listening. And you may say, well, Larry, what do you mean listen? Is God going to speak to us verbally? Probably not. God's never spoken to me audibly. But there's been times when I've been seeking Him, and I'm in prayer, or in His Word, and He has impressed something in my spirit so strongly. Then it was as close to being him speaking to me audibly as it could have been. And I knew I'd heard from the Lord. 
And then abiding. You're going to hear me make a lot of references to our Friday night prayer here, Brother Dan. And I, when I challenge folks to come on Friday night prayer, I often say, because it, it's, it's an hour of abiding time. Because most people, if you say, we're going to pray for an hour, they get this idea that we're all going to stand in a circle and hold hands, and we're going to pray for an hour, and they think, there is no way I can do that. And, and quite frankly, I would have a hard time with that. But for an hour, we come in here, and this Friday night, this sanctuary looked like this, and the lights were down, and the music is playing, and you'll see different things, people doing different things, which I'll cover momentarily. And it's just a time to get away from the hustle and bustle of the world, from your phones, your computers, all the things that distract us, and spend some time with the Lord. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, it defines prayer like this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. There are 650 prayers in the Bible and 25 prayers from Jesus. Prayer was instructed by Jesus himself in Matthew 6, 5, and 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the most popular sermon Jesus gives. And what he's doing, he is telling the listeners, things are about to change radically from what you've been used to. The kingdom of God is now coming to earth. The kingdom of God is now on earth. And things will be different from what you were used to. And he says this about prayer when he's speaking to that congregation. He says, and when you pray. He didn't say, and if you pray. He said, when you pray. You should not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. That would have been the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the self-righteous of that day. They like for everybody to see them when they're praying. They prayed loud prayer, not, not because they were beseeching God, but because they wanted to look real religious. He said, Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret place will reward you openly. Do you have a secret place that you meet with God? Now, that doesn't mean we can't pray corporately. We do. We believe it. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, and we, we believe in that. That doesn't mean we can't gather at altars and pray and gather and pray on Friday night. But I'm here to tell you, church, where you will get your power, where you will get what you need to walk a victorious Christian life is if you have a secret place somewhere. It could be in your house. It could be in your car. It could be anywhere. It could be a, it could be a combination of all those where you go and meet with God and say, God, I, I need to spend some time with you. Mine's in my study. Sometimes it's on my front porch in a nice day. But do you have a place? Do you have a secret place where you meet? With God. Jesus instructed it and he also modeled it. In Luke 5 16, he said, So he himself, speaking of Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. I think if the Son of God needed to pray, I think I need to pray. And he withdrew. Do you see? He got away from everybody. Everybody's pulling at him. We all have things pulling at us today. You may have troubles and concerns, and you you, you got the issues of life. Something's pulling at you. People will pull at you. 
Find some time to get away. Get away from all of that. Get away from your phone. Get away from your television. Get away from the things that would distract you. And spend some time. In Luke 6, 12, it says this, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Have you ever continued all night in prayer to God? I have not. I have not. I find it difficult to pray sometimes. But I'm in good company. And so are you. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He brought his, a couple of his disciples with him, and he was in agony. He said, i got to pray, i got to pray. And he said, guys, stay right here and pray with me. And he goes over, and Jesus is pouring his heart out, and he goes back, and guess what he finds? They're sleeping. That would have been me. Tired. But you know, he said something that is so true. Jesus said this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that is a true statement. And you want to get a time when, you know, I'm going to deal with this more, when you'll get, the, the flesh will get in, you'll be tired, and your mind's running all over the place. It's when you go to try to find a place to pray. It was modeled by Jesus. I want to deal for a few minutes about the posture of prayer, the positioning. What is the position? What, what position? Is there some, some particular position we need to be in? Because the Bible says pray without ceasing. So clearly we can't be in any one position. But there are several. The Bible gives us several positions of prayer. And when I thought about Friday night prayer, if you come, you will see all of these happening on a Friday night, with exception of one. With exception of one. First, and the most common associated with prayer, is kneeling. It's on our knees. When we think about someone praying, when we see uh, images of people praying, generally it's someone on their knees. And in Daniel 6.10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, there had been a writing that had been signed where Daniel was going to have to be forced to try to worship the king of Babylon rather than his God. And if you know anything about Daniel, that was not going to happen. But a writing had been signed. And so here's what Daniel did when he found that, that writing. He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. Parents, teach your children to pray. Some of you who might be friends with me on Facebook, and I know some of our younger people don't, this Friday night, Brother Michael and Sister Christy brought their kids, and I had to take a picture of it. I just couldn't help it. Little James was right there on that altar praying. And he only laid there for a little bit. And I think his mom and dad are starting to teach him how you pray. But, but, but Daniel had been a, a man of prayer since his younger days. He knew what it meant. He had practiced it enough. He knew how to do it. And he knelt to do it. With our heads bowed. Exodus 34, 8 says, So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Our heads bowed is a very common way. We bow our heads to pray over our meal. We, we end our services often by saying, where well, everyone bow your head for a moment. How about with lifted hands? How about with lifted hands? How about praying with lifted hands? How about kneeling and lifted hands? You're talking about a, you're talking about a position of surrender. And for us men, a lot of times, we don't like to do this because, I don't know, our pride gets in the way and we think, well, somebody's going to think something of me. I don't care what you think about me. 
when I need to lift my hands, I'm going to lift my hands. I want to know, God, that I'm willing to surrender to you. I want to fully surrender to you. And on your knees with your hands lifted, oftentimes, it's just a symbol of surrender. Paul, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.8, he said, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Pray at your home, pray at your car, pray at your work. Pray, pray, pray. Pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Don't be afraid to lift your hands and pray. Sitting, 2 Samuel 7 and 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, that it is my house that you have brought me this far? Oftentimes on Friday night you'll see people sitting. They're sitting in their pews. They may say, I've sat on the altar. Sitting. But here's the one that I haven't seen on a Friday night prayer. That I haven't seen really at all. And boy, you're talking about having to swallow your pride on this one. Prostrate. Have you ever laid on your face before God? I have not. Some have. I see some of you shaking it. I have not. Deuteronomy 9, 25 through 26. Thus I prostrated myself. This is, this is Moses. I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Moses was so desperate for God to move that he was willing to lay on his face 40 days and 40 nights before God and cry out to him. I think the more desperate that we are sometimes, the greater our need, the more likely we are to swallow our pride and say, God, if it means I have to lay on my face before you, I'll lay on my face before you. I've seen that one time here at this church. It was years ago. We hadn't been coming long. And you all know where I sit. We're creatures of habit. I sit in the same place all the time. And I was sitting there, and it was during the praise and worship, and a young man, I don't know who he was, he stood up and laid on his face right in the center of that aisle right there. And I was like, wow. And he just laid there. I struggle sometimes to think I don't want to look pious. I don't want to look you know, like I'm trying to be you know, real religious. But sometimes, church, it's okay. It's okay to lift your hands. It's okay to lay on your face before God when you're in need. To humble yourself before Him. The postures of prayer. What about the purpose of prayer? Now this takes us right into the meat of, of this text of James. What is the purpose of prayer? And, and there's many other purposes other than this, but I want to deal with what James says. First, one of the purposes of prayer is to worship. It is to worship. James says, is any of you cheerful? I think sometimes we think, well, I'm going to pray when things are going bad, when I need something. No, pray when things are going good. Are things going good in your life? Are you healthy? Are your kids okay? Your finances okay? Then praise the Lord for it. That's a great time to praise the Lord. Are you cheerful? Sing psalms. Psalms were prayers. Be willing to come down to the front and praise the Lord. You're praying to Him. A great way to get your mind rolling if you're having a hard time getting into the groove of prayer is during the worship, during where songs are being played. Many of the songs that, that Brother Dan loads up on Friday night and many of the songs we sing up here that Brother Matt picks come straight out of Scripture. So when you've got your hands up or if you're, pray, if you're singing those songs, you're praying to God. It doesn't always have to be when it's 
hard. Martin Luther said, when I can't pray, I always sing. So if you can't pray, if you're having a hard time praying, then get you a worship set going and just start to sing. And then let's see if we can get a spirit of prayer going. We're, the, the purpose of prayer is to pray when we're suffering. He says, is any of you suffering? Let him pray. Are you suffering today? Is something going on in your life? Pray about it. It's for healing. It's for calling on the elders of the church for healing. And I'll deal with that more momentarily. It's to pray for others. James said to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Don't relegate that down to the pastor, to the elders. If you're here, you're a believer in the Lord, you've surrendered yourself to Him, you can pray for other people. Go to your coworker who's in the hospital. Go when you know someone's in need and say, can I pray for you? I can tell you I've done that a lot. Very, very seldom will somebody say no. And you will find sometimes that if life is hard on you, when you begin to pray for others, it begins to build you up. It begins to build you up. I only say this for illustration, but there's hardly ever a time on Friday night prayer. And, and this is the beauty of being in, in, in a somewhat smaller church. We know each other. We know what we're dealing with. We know the issues of life amongst us. And I think that's a good thing. And there's hardly a time on a Friday night, and I like to stand at the back sometime, that I don't look at each person that's there that Friday night and call their name before the Lord and pray that God will move in their life. Usually I know whether they're suffering, whether there's some sickness, whether there's a struggle. I know it, and you most of the time will know it. And, it. and it blesses me. It builds me up. Because then it's not about me or some concern that I may have. It's, it's others. And we're to pray for others. There's prayer of confession and repentance. James says, confess your sins one to another. You know, there's many commands in the Bible that we don't obey, but this is certainly one of them. We do not confess our sins one to another. Why? Why? We don't trust each other. And, um, but I hope that you have someone, if you're a man, a trusted brother, if you're a lady, a, a trusted sister, that you can confess your sins to, that you confess your struggles to. Now, I know all of you, none of you have got any sins. I may, this may not apply to any of you. But somebody that you can, can say, look, this is, this is just what I'm struggling with in my life right now. This is where I failed this week. You, you need, and James says, do it. And he says that you might be healed. I don't have time to go into that, but there are connections. When we see the prayer of faith, when we see this confess that you might be healed, there are at times confession, connections between sin in your life and sickness. But not always. But that would be for another time. But we don't trust. I, I, uh, I read, I heard, I stumbled across this story to illustrate this. I think it illustrates it pretty well. It says four preachers went out together and wanted to have a confession time. They were talking about their various failures. One preacher said, well, you know, sometimes I watch movies I shouldn't be watching. Another preacher said, well, you know, I go to the casino and I gamble occasionally. The other guy said, you know, when I'm by myself, I smoke cigars and cigarettes. The fourth preacher said, well, my sin is gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> now, that's truth. He, 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 he won't be part of that confession group anymore. 
So, but that's not, that's not what James says. James tells us to do it, to confess our sins one to another. And we also do that in prayer. We confess our sins to God and ask for repentance. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And lastly is to pray for our nation. Elijah prayed for his nation. You might say, well, I'm only one person. What, what is one person can, what can one person do? Let me tell you something. When you look through the Bible, when you look through some of the prayers and some of the things, that miraculous things God did at the prayer of one person, they just dare trust God. That's the purpose of prayer. Now, what about the power of prayer? The power of prayer. Well, first we see the power of prayer in the prayer of faith. Now, there's a lot of differing opinions on what the prayer of faith is. And that's found in verse 15. It says, in the prayer of faith, it it tells the sick to call on the elders of the church and have them anoint them with oil. It says, in the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. What is the prayer of faith? A lot of different opinions on that. And as I study through that, it's amazing how many people try to run away from the gift of faith and healing on that. But what I believe that is, I believe when the elders of the church, those people, those men we put in positions that we trust to be, seek God, to be living right before the Lord, we bring people down, we anoint them with oil, we pray the prayer of faith, we're praying that the miraculous, that the gift of faith and healing will function. It still can function today. I don't care if people can say, it don't happen anymore. It does happen. It can happen. And we're going to practice it. We've always practiced it and we'll continue to practice it. We'll anoint, pray, and we leave it to God. But what we're praying is that God will move miraculously because he's still a miraculous God. I have a good friend that um, goes to a local Baptist church here. He's a really good buddy of mine. And his pastor is one of those pastors that preaches through books. And he preached through Corinthians. And he said, you might be interested in his message this, this past Sunday. And I have, a, I have a copy of the transcript. I said, bring it. I said, send it to me. I want to see it. Because he told me about it. And he went through and he got to the gifts of the Spirit. And are they still working today or can they still work today? And this guy is very intelligent. He's got a doctorate uh, and he's just a, and he, and he studies the scriptures and he's a, he's a godly man. And he told his congregation, he said, I can see nowhere in the scriptures where this has stopped. And I was like, finally, somebody who will just take the word of God at what it says. You don't want to function in it. You don't want to believe it happens. Knock yourself out. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And when I asked him, I said, well, that's wonderful. Do you practice it? Will you bring someone down and anoint them with oil and put your hands on them, have the elders put on them, pray that God will heal them? Well, no. Then if you believe in it, okay, wonderful, you believe the Bible teaches, then do it. Do it. If you believe it, do it. John Piper is not necessarily known as a maybe Pentecostal charismatic, but He said this about this text. He said, the text does not teach that everyone the elders pray for will be healed. It teaches that if the elders pray the prayer of faith, the sick person will be healed. This is stated so absolutely that it seems to me that a gift of faith is meant here, which assures the elders the healing will be done. In other words, I think this phrase, the prayer of faith, puts us right back into the sphere of spiritual gifts rather than taking us out of that sphere. 
Because many people try to read that scripture and they, they try to, well, I'm going to have to figure out a way that this is not that people can be healed because that doesn't happen anymore. And, and Piper said that doesn't do that. It takes us right back to the fact that God is miraculous. The elders seek God's gifting for faith so they might pray the prayer of faith. The gift is referred to in 1 Corinthians 12.9. There is a faith that comes as a special gift to pray for something extraordinary. And we still serve a miraculous God, an extraordinary God. Well, lastly, we pray for people all the time and they don't get healed. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, that is one question I long to know the answer to. But does that mean that I'm not going to take God's word, believe it, practice it, and pray and pray to God that we're praying that prayer of faith and that God will do something miraculous? I, we're going to do that. But it says it'll do three things. It'll save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if your sins are forgiven, that's what happens when that prayer of faith starts to be prayed. The Lord will raise him up. Now listen, I've said this a few times before. This is Larry talking, okay? But I, I don't chase faith healers. And I know sometimes people want to run three states away because this guy's a faith healer and I'm going over this county because there's some oil flowing off the Bible over there and all this stuff going on. I'll leave that between you and God and what you decide to do. But the Bible says, know those that labor among you. I know the elders of this church. I know their life. When I need and I stand in need of God, I'm going to come right down here to 3518 Rosa Sharon Road. I'm going to say, guys, take this oil right here and anoint my head. This is what's going on. Let's pray to prayer of faith and see if God will move and heal me. That's what I'm going to do. Because then I don't have to, likely I don't have to worry about that I find out later that the faith healer two states over was had a mistress all along. And that happened. I want to know the people who are putting their hands on me. I want to know a little bit about their life. And that's the elders. The prayer of faith. So the power of prayer is to save the sick, heal the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if there's sins and you confess those sins, and that's the primary thing, that is always the primary thing. If there's sin, do you confess that sin? There. Jack Hayford said it this way. I like the way he put this. He said, here, here, speaking of this prayer of faith, he says, here is an abiding healing covenant to be held as such and practiced today. The sick are to exercise faith in calling on the elders. That is a pastoral leadership. Two, confession of sin and heart preparation are important since our physical well-being is never separated from our, or made primary above our spiritual health. Your physical well-being is never primary above your spiritual health. If God heals me, if, you're, if, if someone's sick, dying with cancer, and we pray and God miraculously heals them, praise the Lord, but the fact of the matter is, we're all going to die. And so I want to know that you're saved. I want to know that you've repented of your sin. I want to know that you've put your trust in Christ. That's what I want to know primarily. And I want to know maybe there's not something hindering you receiving Third, the healing may come as a result of corporate, group, or personal prayer. Four, the anointing oil is not a superstitious exercise, but a prophetic action declaring the present dependence upon the anointed one. Christ Jesus, whose power is administered by the present work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. The prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. And it has the power to do miraculous things. Lastly, the power of prayer. He says in the last half of verse 16, James does, he says this, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man overcomes much. 
the very next verse, in verse 17, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Re remember that the original manuscripts didn't have verse breaks in it. So he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man overcomes much, and he moves right into, uses Elijah as an example. Because when I read this verse, oftentimes, when I read this, I say, okay, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I hit the word righteous, and I say, Lord, that disqualifies me. Because we're all inclined to say we're not righteous. There is now a righteousness from heaven, the Bible tells us. And if, you, if you're doing it within your own righteous, you're absolutely right. You're dead in the water. You're never going to make it. But if you're depending on the righteousness of Christ, the exchange at that cross, where you went to that cross, you gave him your sin nature, you took his righteousness, the Bible says you're a righteous person for purposes of this scripture and every other scripture as it relates to righteousness. But then I have to ask, is my prayers effective or are they fervent? And he uses Elijah as an example. And these were first century Jews, and, and not just them, but today, when I hear the word Elijah, my ears perk up. Elijah was a great prophet. So great, he's one of the two people who didn't die. God took him to heaven in a chariot of fire. But, but, but James starts out talking about his prayer life by saying he was a man like us. And I think when we read the scriptures and we read incredible stories of prayers that people prayed and God did incredible things, we think, well, there must have been something uniquely special about them. It wasn't. Elijah got up every day and put his pants on one leg at a time like you do. Or his cloak. He didn't have pants. He wore a cloak. But he was just a man. He, he had a nature. He had struggles. He had doubts and fears and all the things that we would have today. But he dared trust God. He dared pray big prayers. He dared to stand for righteousness against a very wicked king. And the story of, of this, if you want to write it down, is found in 1 Kings 18. And we'll see a little bit about what the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man does and what it can overcome. It, Elijah was righteous in his day. He served as a prophet to a wicked king named Ahab. He had an even more wicked wife named Jezebel. And things in the nation were not going well. All the other rest of the prophets were serving the Baals. They were chasing false gods. And Elijah said, no, I will not do that. So he was a righteous man in his day. And although we are saved, we can be redeemed. Sin can creep into our hearts. And if we're not careful, that sin that we're practicing in our hearts at a season, if we're not careful, it can affect our prayers. If there's sin in our lives, it can affect our prayers. Psalm 66 and 18 says this. If I regard, and a lot of translations say cherish, and I like that word. If you cherish something, you love it. If I regard or if I cherish iniquity, sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The Lord will not hear. Is there something in your life that, is there sin God's been dealing with you? He's ready for you to let that thing go, but you cherishing it, you're hanging on to it. It can hinder your prayers. It can hinder your prayers. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His eyes are open to their cry. If you're righteous this morning, you've put your trust in Him, you submitted to His Lordship. No, you're not perfect. Make no doubt about it. When you cry out to Him, He hears you. Like Colin said this morning, he ain't forgotten about you. I know sometimes that gets difficult. We say, Lord, do you hear me? He hears you. And he will answer in his timing and in the counsel 
of his will. And guys, how we treat our wives must be pretty important as well because Peter writing in 1 Peter 3, 7 said this, Husbands likewise dwell with them. Speaking of our wives, with understanding giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. How we treat our spouses can affect our prayers. We can't cherish sin in our hearts. It can affect our prayer. But Elijah, what did he do? He prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. And that's what's hard. This isn't a little, now lay me down to sleep's prayer. This is a prayer where you're praying out, praying earnestly to God. That is a hard position to get to. Dr. Moody Stewart said this when he talks about prayer. He says, pray until you pray. Now what that means, and I'm going to read something to you from just a minute by A.W. Tozer. Many times, church, when I sat down to pray, whether it's on Friday night, and sometimes on Friday I don't feel like coming. But oftentimes by the time I get here and begin to pray, my whole demeanor begins to change. And I find it easy to pray. But there's still sometimes, whether it's here at the church, whether it's in my secret closet, wherever it is, that I begin to pray and my mind's all over the place. I'm like, God, I am wasting my time. This ain't working today. And I'm inclined to get up and say, I'll try another day. And sometimes I do. But sometimes I stay there. Sometimes I might have worship music going. I do something. I begin to pray. And what happens, what I find sometimes when I do that, as I work through the distractions, as I work through the fact that I don't feel like being there in my flesh, I find that I actually begin to pray. That I start to feel like my prayers are becoming a little more earnest, a little more fervent. And that's, that's where the battle is. Getting there is the first battle. Whether it's Friday night, whether it's getting off your couch because I'm watching a ball game or I'm watching those TV shows, I really am enjoying. But I know, Lord, my, my devotion time with you is from 7 to 8 at night, and I need to go up there and, you know, spend some time in prayer, spend some time in your word. The first battle is getting off the couch. And sometimes I lose that battle. But a lot of times I don't. And the more times that I do that, the more times I want to do that. And that's what it means to pray until you pray. I found this by A.W. Tuzra. It said, the habit of breaking off our prayers before we have truly prayed is common and it is unfortunate. Often the last 10 minutes may mean more to us than the first half hour. I've experienced that. Sometimes the first 10 minutes is just trying to get this thing going. Because we must spend a long time getting into the proper mood to pray effectively. We need to struggle with our thoughts to draw them in from where they have been scattered throughout multitude of distractions that resulted from the task of living in a disordered world. I couldn't have said that any better. Of course, I'm not A.W. Tozer, so that's no surprise. But that's truth. You sit down and your mind is scattered. You're thinking about everything else in the world. But sometimes you've got to stay there and pray until you pray. Elijah did that. He prayed earnestly. He prayed specifically. When you sit down to pray, pray specifically. Do you have a need? Do you know someone who has a need? That's why I like to know the names. Call their name out. Call that need out specifically. Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I don't want it to rain for three and a half years. It didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would rain, and it rained. Pray specifically. And then lastly, pray, pray persistently. I'm going to ask brother, just Brother Matt if he would to come up to the to the uh, 
keyboard. We're going to end our service a little bit different this morning. So when Elijah was praying for rain, that it would rain, the Bible says he went up and he prayed and nothing happened. And he had to go back seven times. We want to come down and pray one little time. It didn't happen. Well, God, I guess you ain't going to do it. And I struggle in that sometimes. I Lord, if I had enough faith, maybe the first prayer would work. Well, maybe I don't have enough faith. Sometimes you've got to pray and keep on praying. And don't lose heart, Jesus said. Pray and don't lose heart. But Elijah kept going back. And he kept going back. And he kept going back. He prayed persistently. And on the seventh time, the Bible says, when he went back, he was looking over the sea when he would pray. He said he saw the cloud about the size of a man's hand begin to rise up over the ocean. And Elijah told Ahab, he said, you better get out of here. It's about to start raining. And it did. It started raining. But he didn't give up. He didn't give up. And as we move into a new year, as we move into our season of corporate prayer and fasting, as has already been mentioned, I want to challenge you today, church, that if you don't have a, a prayer life, that you, you work on that. I'm not going to tell you that's going to be easy. Nothing worth having generally comes easy. It takes work. But I will tell you this. There's many times when I go and I get in my secret closet or I come here on Friday night prayer, didn't feel like coming to begin with. And there are times I come and I don't, and I'm like, Lord, I, I was there, but I just didn't get a lot out of that. But that don't mean he didn't hear me. He heard every word I prayed. Because he's God and I'm his. He's mine. But there's times I come here or I go up into my study and I begin to pray. And there's times when it don't take but about five or ten minutes and I begin to pray. I might even begin to pray in a heavenly language. And I come down, I come up out of this altar, I come down them steps a whole lot different than I went up. And I'm like, boy, that was good. I was like, Lord, I wish I could get that all the time. And maybe I could if I could do it more consistently. So what I want to do this morning, I want to close our, our service. I'm going to ask everyone, if you will, to stand. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask everybody. It's quarter to twelve. I'm going to come down here. Brother Dan's going to meet me here. Brother Denny's going to meet me here. And we're going to have some anointing oil. And if, you, if you're sick, you have a need, it don't just have to be a physical sickness. And you would like for us to anoint your head with oil and pray over you, we're going we're gonna to pray the prayer of faith. We're going to trust God. And so we're going to come down here, and I'm going to ask every single person in this sanctuary if you'll come down and find you a place to pray. If you want to sit, you can sit on the front pews. If you want to kneel, you can kneel at this altar. If you want to stand, just pray. Seek God. Spend some time with the Lord. Maybe you have a need. Maybe you have a need. But come and let's, let's finish this service by being obedient to what James said. Let us pray. And maybe you want to pray for someone. One of the things that I have found is when I'm praying or I'm in a spirit of prayer, somebody's name will come to my mind and I'm like, where in the world did that name come from? Don't dismiss that. Take that name and text them and say, man, I was in prayer today and your name popped across. You might be surprised if somebody says, you don't know how much I need that. The Holy Spirit moves. 
He's active in our lives. So I'm going to come down here, Brother Dan, if you and Danny will meet me here. Folks, the altar's open. Brother Matt's going to play for a few minutes. And then what we're going to do, we're going to stop the online service in about five minutes. We're going to start some music so Brother Matt can come down. And we're going to close this service. The, the service is officially over. If you need to go, go. But I want to ask you to come. And this we end this service today seeking God.